Well, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're continuing, of course, in our study of being a saint, our union in Christ. We're seeing truths from God's Word, which is dealing with what we call sanctification. Remember, sanctification means literally to be set apart. We're seeing truths concerning believers being set apart in Christ. Realize that when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, we are are set apart. We're called saints. We're holy ones. We're children of God. We know that we're to live out our position, but we're to walk with the calling. In our study, we realize that we have been set apart, we are being set apart, and we will be set apart. In these last chapters or these last lessons of our study, we're dealing primarily with the practical application, basically the Christian life, which is the progressive aspect. Uh, what we did is, if you have your hand out there, if you notice that, we look really at three things in these last studies. Our service, that's Romans chapter 12, our walk, which is Ephesians chapters 4 and 5, And then our areas, which are four key areas. In our last two lessons, we looked first at Romans 12, 1 and 2, where we talked about offering our lives. Then we looked at Ephesians 4, part of Ephesians 5, which is walking worthy of our calling. In this lesson, we're going to be looking at four areas, and we're going to be looking at our bodies, our time. So our bodies, our time, our possessions and our basically our abilities and with abilities uh, this is this, uh, bodies and time will be this lesson this is 12 and possessions and abilities will be lesson 13 and we'll see those and abilities deal with our talents and our spiritual gifts. So we'll see that as we go through the study. So there's a lot of great things we're going to see in this study, those four things. We'll, we'll see two, to, two in this lesson and two in the next lesson. Now, they, these are vital areas that we must uh, make practical application if we're going to work with of our calling, if we're going to live out who we are, if we're going to be conformed to the image of, our, of the Son, Jesus Christ. Remember, the aspect of sanctification, if you own your handout, the three aspects of, of sanctification, there's past. And if you remember, that's called positional sanctification that happens at the moment we believe we're set apart in Christ, we're holy and blameless uh, in Christ, and Max, we're seated in the right hand uh, in Christ at the right hand of the Father. Then there's present uh, uh, sanctification, which we call progressive, which is really the Christian life, and that's we are being uh, set apart, we are <coughs> being changed, that's the thing. And then the third one is future, which we call ultimate sanctification, which is one day when our standing before God and our state before God become the same, and that's going to be a great time. We're now focusing on practical applications, and I think this is the, the part that I really look forward to the most in the study, is, is getting really practical when we think about uh, progressive sanctification, living out who we are. So we're going to look in our study today at our bodies, uh, in these next two lessons, our bodies, our time, our possession, and our abilities. This lesson, our bodies and our time, so we're going to see that as we go through it. So here's start off with the question, how do we view ourselves? We realize that we're sort of complex. We have mind, emotion, and will. We have a bent to sin. We have God in us. We have spiritual gifts. We have the Word of God. How do we view ourselves? The old famous saying is, I think, therefore I am. We realize we're much more than a mind. We're both spiritual and physical beings. When you think about our lives and who we are and what we are and all those kind of things, we say that there's there's I'm drawing, for those who are watching, who are listening, of course, I'm drawing the drawing of the little man. There's a body, and then there's a soul, and a conscience, and a flesh. And then on the other side, that's inside the person, and then there's the human spirit, which is the part that's born again. And then there's the Holy Spirit. So in reality, when you think about a person, we're saying, golly, we've got a body, we've got a soul, conscience, flesh, human spirit, Holy Spirit, all of those kind of things. But when we start thinking about a person, we actually realize that there are three big aspects, body, soul, and spirit. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at verse 23. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself set you apart, sanctify you completely, and may, notice, your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about it, and I've got it on your heart, on your short, uh, sheet there, First Thessalonians 5.23, how are we described? We have a body, that's physical aspect, that's the physical body, okay? Then we have a soul, which is actually... Not physical, but immaterial. But when we think about the soul, the soul relates to the world. And usually in the soul, we talk about that's where we have our mind and our emotions 
in our will, okay? So that's kind of the soul of a person. And then we have the spirit, the body, soul, spirit. Spirit is also immaterial, but the spirit relates to God. And we call that like the human spirit, the part of us that can know and understand God, the part that's been born again, the part that that's the new creation. And so when Paul describes us in 1 Thessalonians, he said, May the God of peace himself sanctify you, set you apart entirely, completely. That's going to be ultimate sanctification. And may your what? Spirit, soul, and body. So when we talk about human beings, sometimes we can say that we're two things. We're material and immaterial. But there's other times we can say we're three things. We're material, which is a body, and we're immaterial, which is a soul and spirit. So as we look at this lesson, we're going to look... Uh, with two things. We're going to talk about our bodies, and then we're going to talk about our time. So let's start, and if you go to the top, I think, of the next page or the second page, we're going to be looking at our bodies. And we're talking about physically. We have a responsibility. Our relationship with God is not just a spiritual aspect. There's a physical aspect. In fact, 1 Corinthians six nineteen says, What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we think about our bodies, and our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. There's three big things we always think about. Exercise, eating, and sleep. And when you think about your body, you say, we all need to eat, we all need to exercise, and we all need to sleep. That's, that's the big three. Sometimes when I think about my life, I say, okay, from a physical aspect, I've got to watch the things I eat, I've got to make sure I exercise, and I make sure I get enough sleep. When we think about eating, most of us in the United States, we overeat. That We have trouble with weight. In fact, most people aren't saying, I'm just so skinny, I don't know how I'm going to gain anything. Most of the time we say, i got to figure out how to lose weight. And then exercise. And times have changed. Uh, the older you get, some people say, well, you know, I'm older now, I don't need to exercise. We all need to exercise. Young people don't realize how good they got it. Uh, everything hurts when you get older, but we do need to exercise and to, to, to do that. And then the third thing is sleep. Uh, we, sh we should get proper sleep. Proverbs says it is vain to stay up late and rise up early, because he's basically saying, don't burn the candle at both ends. So we're going to have to think about our bodies, and realize that we're supposed to take care of our bodies, and we think about living for Christ. In fact, that's one of the things that people have always sort of made fun of, especially pastors, if, if a pastor's real overweight, you know, they say, well, you're not taking care of your body. And uh, throughout history, there'd be the, the sin of gluttony. People would say, and so people always sometimes look at Christians and say, what do you look like? Do you look like you're doing all the stuff you're supposed to do? So when we're thinking about living for Christ, we have a great responsibility from our bodies. And it's a, we're spiritual and physical. So let's talk about our bodies. And big number one there, number one is our bodies are to serve and glorify God. So number one, our bodies are to serve and glorify God. We don't always think of it that way. If you remember Romans 12, 1 and 2, I therefore I urge, urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. So we don't think about that. We say our lives, but he actually says our bodies. And so first thing we want to think about is our bodies are to serve and glorify God. When we think about living for Christ, we think about serving our Savior. Realize it, it's through a physical body. Our goal is that everything done in this body is to glorify Christ. Philippians 1, 20 and 21 says this, According to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but with all boldness, Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Think about it. Not my life. My body. He said, because our lives are our bodies. Our bodies are a physical representation of who we are. And so the very first thing we see in Philippians 1, 20, 20 and 21 is that he's saying that he wanted Christ to be exalted in his body. We would say, well, he means in his life. Well, he, he means in how... He is perceived, how he lives, what he does. Christ is exalted. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Another great passage is 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20. I quoted a while ago, but if you remember this, it says, what do you not know? Your body is the what? It is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. So what is our body? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your what? In your body. He doesn't say in your lives. Now, I'm not saying that our lives and bodies are two separate things. I'm just saying that oftentimes we think about our lives and we don't think about our bodies. But in every one of these passages so far, he's used the term body. 
that God would be glorified in my body, that you've been glorified, you're to glorify God in your body, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So our body is actually where the Holy Spirit lives. And so the very first thing I want us to think about, that our physical bodies, temples of God, and we're to glorify God in our bodies. So that's the first thing. Then number two, number two is we will be rewarded by God based on how we live in these bodies. We will be rewarded by God based on how we live in these bodies. And how we live determines what we'll receive from Christ. Remember Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, there she also reap. He who sows the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. He sows the spirit shall reap of the spirit eternal life. It's the sowing and reaping. Whatever we do now in these bodies, in this life, is will be rewarded. That's why Second Corinthians, where shall we all appear? Second Corinthians five ten, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And listen to this, listen to this. I'm gonna read it carefully. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may recompense for the deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, there's two ways to, uh, to interpret that. When he says, we'll all stand and be recompensed for the deeds done, for his deeds in the body, some say that means the body of Christ. I think in the flow of the passage, he's talking about an individual Christian. Uh, I mean, he says, we must, and even to make it a group there, but that each one, if you look at the verse carefully, each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. So it's more likely he's talking about your physical body, not necessarily the body of Christ. But the point is that you're going to be recompensed. God's going to reward us based on how we live. Uh, the, the Greek word for recompense means to be given back or to be rewarded. So how we live now will result in rewards when we stand before Christ. So how we live in this body. Okay? That, and then number three, we must control our bodies. Now, to be honest with you, I, I'm not that good at that. We are accountable to God for how we live. We're fallen. We have a pull to sin, but we can have victory. And we can use our bodies for righteousness rather than sin. I'm going to raise some things on the board as I'm just talking through this, and I'll tell you what we're drawing up there. But, but when we think about our bodies, when we think about controlling our bodies, so number three is what the, the, the thing is we must control our bodies. Romans chapter 6 Verse 12 says this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obtain its lust. So on your handout it says, Do not let sin reign in, it should be your mortal body. Okay? In other words, don't let sin rule your life. And so, in, in a human being, and we just think about our body as a whole, and let's just cut through it all. On one side, you can put flesh... On the other side, you can put Holy Spirit, okay? And so there, there we are. And we have, a, a, since we're supposed to glorify God in our body, and if we're supposed to live for Him, and, and so the bottom line is that there's this battle going on. And Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Do not let sin, the flesh, reign or rule in your mortal body. In this body, don't let sin rule your lives. He goes on to say, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Don't present yourself to sin. As instruments summarizes, But present yourselves, but to who? To God. And so we've got, here's sin over here. God over here. Here's our body. He actually says, okay, don't present your body to the flesh, that's sin. Present your body to the Holy Spirit, that's God, and that's the right stuff. This is unrighteous on the sin side and righteous on the God side. And so he basically says, here's our bodies. We've seen this before. We've taught Romans chapter 6 a number of times. But the bottom line is this. In Romans chapter 6, we died and rose again with Christ to a new life. We don't have to obey our flesh. When our flesh pulls us, we can either let sin rule in our lives, and that means our body is used for sin, or we can live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God, and we can live righteously, and we can and let righteousness rule our lives. And that's the bottom line of what he says. We have to control our own lives. And if you, if you turn on to the top of the next page, Colossians 3, 5 says, Consider the members of your earthly body. Now, body, and this is the, the idea, as, notice what he says, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, 
greed, which amounts to idolatry. He says, consider, what are we to do? Consider ourselves dead to sin. And he lists a whole bunch of them. That's the flesh. This is the, this is the, the deeds of the flesh. Now, the truth is this. We have a body, and that body can be used for good or bad. That body can be used for the glorified God. That body can be used to glorify ourselves. That body can be used to be, to see, be sinful. That body can be used to be righteous. And so we're seeing that we, we decide. A lot of people think we're at the mercy of just anything. We choose to whether we sin or not. We, cho- we do. We choose. We, we're, we're tempted to sin, and we choose to sin. And so he says, listen... What you have to do is consider, think it through, that your earthly body is dead to these things and alive in this. That's what he actually is talking about. Consider yourself dead to sin, the members of our earthly bodies. And so how can, if we got there, how can we have victory? Well, 1 Corinthians 9, 20 through 20, basically that little chapter, that little section, but in verse 27 he says, I buffet my body and make it my slave. Now, buffet means I control it. I, I hit, it, it, it sounds bad, but he's basically saying, I hit my body. I control my body. I tell my body what to do. I'm not, I'm not at the mercy of my body, which is tying back into the flesh. He says, I, I tell my body what to do. My body wants to sin, but I say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm living for God. I had a friend that was such a, a neat guy that he, he, he took it all personally that, listen, he wasn't going to let his body determine what he did. He was a Marine. And so he, uh, on purpose, took cold showers. He said, I will make myself take a cold shower because I don't have to have hot water and I can tell my body, you get in that shower. And when it was time to get up, he'd say, I'll make myself get up. My body's not going to say, I'm too tired to get up. No, I'm going to get myself up. He said, basically says, I buffet my body. I control my body. I make it my slave. In other words, I tell my body what to do. And when we think about that, the body can either do good or bad. I mean, that's what the body can do, either good or bad. And so he says, I buffet my body, I make it my slave. And he says, after I preached to others, told everybody, I could be disqualified. I could get, because I, I, I don't do what I'm supposed to do. So, so the third thing that we see here is we're supposed to control our bodies. Now, is it easy or not? We'd say, what? It's not that easy in the sense that there is a natural pull all the time. That's the flesh. That's sin. That's the pull. That's the deeds of the flesh. That's unrighteousness. It is a desire. In fact, it's sinful. Sinful desires are good. And when I say good, they're good to us. We want to. It's not good for us, but if it wasn't good or wasn't something we wanted to do, we wouldn't do it. So the sin is saying, do this, do this, do this. We're fallen people. We still have the bent to sin. And so our body is being pulled by the flesh. And what he says is, listen, you don't have to be pulled by the flesh because you got the Holy Spirit, you got God in there, you got righteousness in there. So Paul says, I, I control my body. I make it my slave. I tell it what to do. I tell myself what to do. And so I think that that's going to be one of the harder things for all of us is that if we're going to make an impact for Christ, we've got to tell our body what to do. That takes us to the fourth area. And the fourth area, the reason I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this is because this is our culture. The fourth area, number one, is we must have victory in our bodies over sexual sin. Now I'm bringing this one out. These others could be anything. Uh, you know, to just to, to be lazy, to, to think bad thoughts, all that. But this fourth area, I just want us to think about it. I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but the whole idea of sexual sin and sexual purity as believers, as those who know Christ, as those who are being set apart, we got to be different than our world, and we got to look at sexual desires in a different way. In fact, Dallas Seminary, I was, uh, I get, uh, they have a thing called Table Talk, which they put out, and I think it's either once a week or once every two weeks. They, they get together, and they have like a little podcast. And one of the most recent ones deals with 
biblical aspect of sexual attraction. That's the title. I hadn't even listened to it yet, but I think what they're going to say is how do we as Christians deal with the sexual aspects of a fallen world and, you know, how are we supposed to be in marriage, how, how are we supposed to be if we're single, those kind of things. And so I hadn't listened to the podcast, but it is so true about the idea of sexuality in a fallen world. And uh, so we, we're not to be led away. So what we're doing, we have to have a victory. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 6, 13. He says, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. We go, we know that. But God will do away with them both. Your body is not for immorality. So your body, your little blank up there is, your body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, we don't always think about it that way, especially in sexual things. Our bodies are not for immorality. Our bodies are to bring glory to God. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, to First Thessalonians. We're already in chapter 5. That's where we started. We haven't really turned away from there. I want you to look back at First Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4. And I want you to look at verses 3 and 4 because he's dealing with this. Now, before we get into what's going on, remember that in that part of the world, we'd call it, Europe. When Paul left and went into Macedonia and Achaia, that's northern Greece and southern Greece, and that part of the world, there, the, uh, some of the worship that, in that place was sexual worship. There was the temple of Aphrodite in which they had prostitutes, both male and female prostitutes, that had parts of, they, was, they called them temple prostitutes, and people, there were sexual things. So these the people that Paul led to Christ in Thessalonica and Corinth and those places, they were dealing with sexual things that uh, are just different than even... T- than, and so as Christians, they're, they're wondering, what do we do? How do we deal with those kind of things? That's why if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul is answering one of the questions they wrote to him, he says, now concerning the things about which you wrote, and then he says, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. That's 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul is answering them because they asked the question, basically, uh, how far can we go? That's basically what they were asking as Christians because they lived in Corinth where Alphadati was there and all the stuff. So Paul now writing to the Thessalonians is, is basically talking about sexual things. And look what he says, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verse 3. He says, for this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now, if we stop right there, we're saying, that's just our big study. Sanctification. That's right. God's will is that we have been set apart. We will be, we are being set apart. We will be set apart. And so he's saying, this is the will of God is that you grow as a Christian. But that's not what he's talking about. Notice, because he adds something. He says that this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, he said, I want to talk about this. You abstain from sexual immorality because they lived in a culture and we live in the same culture it used not be that way you go back 50 years ago and the culture wasn't quite as sexual until my age group of the sexual revolution in the 60s you know if you can't be with the one you love what was the song love the one you're with so it doesn't matter see and that's where it all started Uh, the big movement changed and of course nowadays it is amazing to me how many believers if you said to, to believers who are not married, who are younger people, they live together and they don't even think it is. They, they say, is that wrong? Are you sure that's wrong? Of course it's wrong. But anyway, this just the thought. Uh, and so he says to them, abstain from sexual immorality. So what is God's will? In this passage, is to abstain from sexual immorality. The bottom line is we control our bodies in sexual relations. God's will for our lives is sexual purity, being in control of our bodies. In fact, he goes on, listen to this, that each one of you, talking to believers, know how to possess his own vessel. The vessel is your body. He says that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. He says every one of us need to know how to possess our own bodies in sanctification and honor. And then look, he moves the contrast. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. He said we don't need to live like the world. We need to live for God. And so there's some really powerful things. And there is a confusion today, of course, between lust and love. And let me put it down for you. There's a contrast between love and lust. Let me give it to you. On one side is love. And the first thing, love gives. Okay? Just write gives under love. And lust wants. Love has a desire for others. Lust 
desires for self. In other words, in love, you desire what's best for the other person. You say, I, wanna, I want them to be happy. I want this. Love says, I want. Now, this is what I want. Love fulfills others. The, the goal of love is to feel, fulfill the others. But lust fulfills self. Love is an action. Lust is an emotion. A desire, not an action. Love gives and lust possesses. So, love gives, love, lust wants. Love desires for others, uh, love desires for others, lust desires for self. Love fulfills others, lust fulfills self. Love is an action, lust is emotion. Love gives, love possesses. So, you've got those things that I, I just want you to see that. And we live in a world that s- says things like, you can't control your desires. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can. Yeah, you can. Love is an action. See, love people say, well, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I love that person, and I, I, but I don't have feelings anymore, so I don't love them. No, love isn't feelings. Love is action. So love, by the way, and here's one thing that I used to tell young people when they'd come see me, and they would say something like, my boyfriend said if I really love him, I would do something. And I'd say, love never ask a person to do something wrong. If you love me, don't violate the Word of God. Okay? That's the key. How do we deal with temptation, the pull and all that? Paul, in 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul says we are to flee youthful lust. Now, I don't want to spend a whole huge amount of time on this, but this is powerful because when you start talking about a body, you not only are you talking about the fact that you know we're to live for Christ and our body belongs to Him and we'll be rewarded and we must control our bodies, but the whole idea of sexual stuff is really, really, really powerful. And uh, it's there all the time. And, and so I always think, go, if you go to the top of the next page, I think about Joseph. Most of you know the story. We did, we did I think, last fall, uh, the, the uh, patriarchs, and we looked at Joseph. And, and when Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, what did he do? He ran away. He ran from Potiphar's wife. So how do we deal, and this is the top of the next page, how do we deal with the pulls, the sexual pulls in this world? Because they're there. A, is realize God's desire is our purity. Realize God's desire is our purity. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says. This is the will of God, your sanctification. You abstain from sexual immorality. So God desires that we'd be pure. And that's all believers. That's single believers, married believers, divorced believers, uh, uh, people who have never been married. That's God's desire. Second, you have to make the decision now. You have to make the decision before you get in any kind of relationship or any kind of situation. You can't be in the heat of the action and decide to make the uh, decision. You can't do that. You've got to draw the line now. You've got to make decisions. So I talk to, uh, I'll just say this, uh, people come to me and they want me to do their wedding. And so I sit down with them and we talk about a lot of things. And we get to the part really in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul says uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And basically he was telling the Corinthians, unless you're married, don't have physical relationships and sex. And so as we talk to the young couples and they're getting ready to get married, I say, now y'all have already had to make a decision. You had to make a decision what, what was going to be your line, Right? I said, because you already knew as two believers and you're about to get married that you're not to have sexual relations with each other. So if you can't have sexual relations with each other, then where is your line? Is it, can we can hold hands but no further? Can we kiss but no further? Can we hug but no further? Can we lay down beside each other but no further? Where is the line? There has to be a line. And you have to make a decision and you have to make the decision now. You can't make the decision in the heat of the moment. You have to decide what is your standard, what are you going to do. Now, we know that the Bible says abstain from sexual immorality. Paul says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. So, so we, if you're not married and you don't have someone that you can have sexual relations with, you have to make a decision now what your line is going to be. The third thing is, C, is don't put yourself into a temptation. Don't put yourself into temptation. First Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee immorality. And he's talking about sexual immorality because he goes on to say, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. 
Now, this is really tough because he basically says, don't put yourself in that situation. And that's where you decide on the front end. What are you going to do? What's going to be your limit? I re I'll have to throw this out, but I remember a couple. This has like been a long time ago, came to see me, and they were the sweetest couple. They were a great godly girl and a great godly guy, but they were struggling physically. Now, they basically told me, uh, JB, we, we haven't like gone all the way or anything, but we're just struggling. So we just, uh, you know, it's all the time. I said, well, tell me what's going on. And they said, well, you know, she'll come over to my apartment to study, and we'll go to my bedroom to study. And I said, well, okay, there, there's your problem right there. You already put yourself in a place that you're tempted. I said, the best thing to do is you can't study in your apartment. You can't study in your bedroom. If you're going to study, go to the library. Go somewhere that you won't put yourself in a temptation situation. And that's why what we have to do is be careful. Don't put ourselves in a place where we'll be tempted. Because remember, take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. So that's C. And then D is don't rationalize. Don't rationalize. We say things like, we leave, love each other, so it's not, you know, we love each other. Well, love doesn't do wrong. Well, we're going to get married someday. Well, you're not married now, though. That's the deal. I've had couples say, you know, well, you know, we're going to get married in three weeks. I said, well, you're not married now. And so, don't rationalize. So those, those four things under this thing is realize God's desire is purity, for our purity. Make the decision now. Don't put yourself in temptation and don't rationalize. Number five, dealing with our bodies, is that God will raise up for us new bodies. God will raise up for us new bodies. One day God's going to raise us from the dead and we'll have new bodies. And we already know that, that at the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be brought up together with him. When he gets ready, we get ready to go into the kingdom. When he comes down, the Old Testament saints will be raised. So human beings are going to have, we're going to have new bodies. And in Romans 8, I put down Romans 8, 23, it says, And not only this, but we ourselves, we're having the first fruits of the Spirit, and as we have it, we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our body. We wait for the redemption of our body. This old fallen body, this old body with this flesh, which is pulling us all the time, one of these days it's going to be a new body, and it's going to be like this. It's going to be a body and a soul and a spirit. And there won't be any flesh. There won't be any flesh. That's the redemption of the body. And it's pretty amazing. And what will, what will Christ do when he comes? Remember, let me read to you again Philippians 3, 20 and 21. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're waiting for him. Who will transform the body of our humble state. We could translate it this way. Who will transform our humble bodies into conformity with his glorious body by the exertion of the power he has given to subject all things to himself. He says one of these days when he comes, he's going to change this body, which is a humble, what did he say? Which is a, a, a uh, in the humble state to a glorious state. And so it'll go from this to this. When he comes to get us, we eagerly await. And that's going to happen the moment he comes in the clouds. Dead in Christ rise first. We who are alive and remain be caught up, changed in the twinkling of an eye. So it's very, very powerful. So when we think about our bodies, you know, often we'd say our lives. We say, you need to give your life to Christ to serve him. He actually says, give your body to Christ to serve him and glorify Christ in your body and one of these days he's going to change our body and we need to flee immorality because immorality is against the body and so it's really a it's really a hard thing when you start thinking about this and so the beginning first aspect I want you to think about as believers and we're talking about living it out we need to recognize that our bodies we there's there's the choice we can either live sinfully Obeying the flesh, the pulls, or we can live righteously, obeying the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the choice. We make the choice. Paul tells us what, the, the Word of God tells us what to do. So the, the, this aspect is this. Let's, in this area of the Christian life, I think it's one of the harder areas, especially because we live in a world. Uh, first of all, anybody that lives in the United States says... I have the right to do, I have freedom, I can do anything I want to. 
I mean, we do have the greatest country in the world, and we do have great freedom. But we're not talking about when Paul says, you've been set free in Christ, only don't use your freedom to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It is true, we're free as Christians. We're children of God, but we don't use our freedom to fulfill the lust of the flesh. So anyway, that's the body part. Now, here's one of my other favorite subjects, because we got, uh, in the next lesson, we got two more, but here's this one. This is our time. I love talking about time. There's only so much time. When we think about time, there's only so much time. Our time is to be set apart for God, to be used for His glory. We've heard people say things like, I just don't have enough time. Well, no, that's not true. Everybody's got exactly the same amount of time. Everybody's got 24 hours in a day, 60 minutes in an hour. It's not that we don't have enough time. It's that we all have the same amount of time, but we choose to use it for one thing. And that's okay. If somebody said to me, I want you to come do this, you can say, uh, we, we always say something like, I don't have enough time to do that. What we should say is, I have the same amount of time as you have, but I'm choosing to do something else rather than that. Because there's just a certain amount of time. We don't say, I don't have enough time, because everybody's got the same amount of time. Ecclesiastes 3.1, you know what it says? There is an appointed time for everything. So we can't really say, I don't have enough time. We should say, I'm choosing to use my time on something else. There's the famous saying, Tempest Fugit, which time flies. It does. It flies. Time flies when you're having fun. And sometimes it doesn't fly as fast when you're not having fun. But the truth is, time goes by one way or another. So there's three things I want you to think about. It's the bottom of the page as we think about our time. Three different things. Number one, it will pass by. Time's moving. Now, God invented time because he's outside of time. Okay, but he invented time and it's moving. Number two, time is, the most, is one of the most valuable assets that God has given to us. Time is one of the most valuable assets that God has given to us. Now think about that, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, because we're going to go over these three things. I think it's going to be at the top of the next page. We'll do it. But here's number three. If we're not careful, you can just put, others will determine what we do with our time. <laughs> if we don't control our time, other people will decide and determine what we do with our time, right? And that's so true. So the big three things, time will pass by. It's one of the most valuable assets that we have. And if we don't control our time, others will control our time. And that's pretty powerful truth. I don't think people think about time very much. If we did, we wouldn't waste time all the time. You know, so turn to the top of the next page, and we got the three things. And let's talk about those three things. First of all, number one, time passes. It cannot be regained. There will never be another April 7th, 2020. There won't ever be another one. You know, we say, well, that's just a day. Listen, every day goes by. There's never going to be another day. There will never be, like this morning at 8 o'clock, there will never be another 8 o'clock on whatever this date is, March the, I mean, April the 8th. Am I right? Is that April 8th? At, at, at 8 o'clock this morning, there will not be another one. So from 8 to 9 today, if you said, well, here, I didn't do anything from 8 to 9, well, you're not getting that hour back. It's gone. Time passes. It marches on. Sunrise, sunset. I think of uh, uh, Tevya and... Uh, Fiddler on the Roof, that famous song, Sunrise, Sunset, Swiftly Go, The Years. It's passing. We have to be ready for each day, and we want to use each day for the glory of God because time passes. Number two, it cannot be regained. It cannot be re regained. Uh, number two is, is it is, uh, I'm sorry, number two is the most, it's the most valuable asset, Right? I'm sorry, I, put, I gave you the wrong thing. Number one is time cannot be regained. That's number one, it passes by. But number two, it's the most valuable asset that God has given us. It's probably, uh, probably, and a lot of times we don't think about it that way, but it's probably the most valuable asset that God has given to us. Time is more valuable than what? Than money. Time is more valuable than money. You can get more money, you can't get more time. You can get another $10, but you can't get another 10 minutes. It's already gone. And so it passes by. We have to be ready. Uh, it, it's powerful. If, uh, the thing about it, if, if you don't tell others how you're going to spend your money, why would you let other people tell you how to spend your time? 
Think about it. We don't let other people tell us how to spend our money. So it's one of the most valuable assets that we have. It has eternal results. It can be positive. It can be negative. You can use your time to glorify God. You can use your time not to glorify God. That takes you to number three, and that is if we don't control our time, others will. People will decide what you do. They'll call you. Hey, I need you to come over tomorrow at 11. And you go, okay. And then you get off the phone and you go, I didn't want to go over there at 11. Okay, you know why? Because you hadn't planned your time and they planned it for you. They called you and said, come over. I remember that one of the first things that helped me because we get calls, people get calls all the time. We have schedules and things like this. And one of the things they say is, you need to schedule time, especially for the things you want to do. Because somebody might call you and say, hey, I want you to do this at 2 o'clock tomorrow. You've already got something scheduled, and all you have to say is, oh, I'm sorry, I've already got something scheduled there. If you don't schedule your time, other people are going to determine what you do with your time. There are times that we feel that we're pulled, that people demand us, and the truth is they demand us unless we've decided what we're going to do with our time. And, you know, let me just say this to everybody listening. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm going to spend an hour um, reading. I'm going, to, I'm going to go walking. I'm going to go do this. Now, in the time that we're living in right now, we can't even hardly get out of our houses, and so there's more time to read, more time to, to watch TV shows, more time to do all kind of different things. But, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with scheduling. Let, let's, let me just say this to you. Let, let's say that your kids, you got kids and they're 11 years old and 9 years old, and they say to you, Daddy or Mama, tomorrow, can we, and you say that tomorrow, Two o'clock, we're going to go do this. And then somebody calls you and wants you to do something. What are you going to say? You should say, oh, I'm sorry, I already have something else planned that I can't do. Because you're going to turn to your kids and say, they called and said they want me to come over there, so we're not going to go to the park or something. Now listen, you plan your schedule. You plan your time. Because remember, you can't get it back. can't get it back. So... Think about our time, those three things. Let's talk about time and God, because this is two big years. So A, under A, time in relationship to God. Time in relationship to God. And B is using our time. So number one, or A, is time in relationship to God. He is sovereign, we're accountable. And B, wisely using our time, using our time, how to control it, ways to do it, we'll talk about it. So let's talk about time in relationship to God. And that's the first thing. Number one is God is sovereign. Sovereign. Ecclesiastes, God judges both believer and unbeliever. Ephesians chapter 1, he works all events according to the counsel of his will. Everything comes under God's plan. Listen, as far as your life and your time and everything else, God is sovereign. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, that doesn't mean that, that your decisions don't count. Let me tell you, he's given every human being has the freedom to make choices, wise choices, and everything that we choose to do and not to do fits somehow in his perfect sovereign will. But we are accountable for all of this. God is in control of the world. He decides when, by the way, he decides when you're born. He decides when you die. He decides events in your life. And if you remember Psalm 139, he talks about that uh, you're fearfully a wonderful made and he is the one that has planned your life and yet you still make choices decisions everything in Psalm uh, 89 verse 47 it says help us to remember how short life is so the first aspect in relationship to God he's the sovereign God he works all things and we're accountable to him to how we use these years and these times now just think about this I'm gonna I'm erasing the board while I'm talking but you know we don't always think about that that we have a certain amount of time that he is going to allow us on this earth to live in these bodies that we've been talking about and so we are accountable to how we use this time how we use this time that he has allotted. God decides the time. And so the truth is, there are some people who live... I looked in the paper this morning. A person uh, celebrated their 102nd birthday. Okay? But there are other people, that they, they die at 12 years old. And they have 12 years, and this other person had 102 years. God determines. God decides that. Now, the second big thing... The second big thing is the top of the page is we are accountable. 
And if you want to, turn to Romans chapter 14, okay? Romans chapter 14. And we realize that we are accountable to God. Everyone is accountable to God, how we use our time, how we use our life. You remember Philippians 2 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Well, look at Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 10. He says this, Why do you judge your brother? Basically, believers were kind of getting on each other. He says, or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? He's he not as good as you? Huh? He's not doing all you're doing? We will all, what, stand before the judgment seat of God. That's the, that's the judgment seat of Christ. So he says, look, you're judging your brother? Listen, you're not the judge. You will be judged. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so the very first aspect is we, we're going to give an account to God. So he goes on to say this. As is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each one of us, now notice it's individual. He says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So over there under by verses 10 through 12, it says we must all give an account to God. We're going to stand before him to be rewarded based on how we lived, how we used our time, how we used our lives. In fact, what we've been seeing in our study this morning is our body and our time, and we're going to be accountable to God for how we use our body and our time. He says, you, you, you're looking at other believers in Romans 14, and he says, you're judging your brother. Wait a minute, you're not the judge. You're going to be judged. We're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one of us will give account of ourselves to God. So he says that we belong to him. We've been bought with a price. And so the idea of using our time is so powerful. Let's look at B, which is using our time. And I, I want you to see some things. Using our time, realize that we're set apart. Our time, we get to control it in that sense. We set our bodies apart to control it. We've all supposed to do this for the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're in Romans, just flip over to First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians and, Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter Chapter 5, and I love chapter 5 because he really deals with some amazing truths. Because we've already saw it last last week when he talked about walk in light, walk in love, walk in wisdom. And we're going to see that because Ephesians 5 is talking about how we live. And verse 15 says, Therefore be careful how you live, how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your what? What does he say? Your time because the days are evil. So he says, walk in wisdom, making the most of our time. This is the key. And literally in the Greek, when he says making the most of our time, it actually says redeeming the time. He says purchasing the time. It's like every day when we wake up, he says, guess what? You get to purchase 24 hours today. You get to purchase uh, uh, tw uh, 24 hours, 60 minutes, and every hour. You get to purchase it. You're to redeem that time. You're to live it out. You're to, to make uh, walk in wisdom. Make the most of your time. Redeem the time because we live in a fallen world. And so that's very, very powerful. So how are we using the time that God gives to us? And as I said earlier, we only have so many days. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. You notice he didn't say number our years. I mean, well, most people, they say, how old is the person? And they say 27 years. They don't say, okay, let's see. Uh, 365 times 27. But he says, teach us to number our days. We need to think about it. That time is short. James says that our lives are just a vapor. We're here and we're gone. So there's two things I want you to think about under this idea, and that is about time. Number one is it's unknown. It's unknown how long we're going to have. James 4 says, some people say, I'm going to go to this town and I'm going to be there for a year. I'm going to work and then I'm going to make a profit and come back. And he says, you don't know what your life is. Your life is just a vapor. You don't know how long you're going to live. In fact, if you say, I'm going to go to this town, what you should say, if the Lord wills, I will go to this town, work there for a year. Because we don't know. I guarantee you that this, if you said two months ago, what would we be doing? Two months ago, we'd be saying, we got the greatest economy in the world. We'd go places. We'd go to restaurants. We've got, we got these plans for this. we got plans for Easter. we got plans for vacation Bible school. we got all this stuff. And two months later, uh, we can't go out of our houses. Not supposed to. we got to be real careful. Who would have thought that? 
So we could say, if the Lord wills, we'll be doing these things. Because we don't know what God has. So that's the first one is, it's unknown. It's up to God. And then number two, we need to be productive. What we do needs to be for the glory of God. For the glory of God. Uh, Make the most of our times. We realize that we're to live for the eternal, not the temporal. Because everything temporal will be what? What's going to happen to everything temporal? It's going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. Everything eternal is going to go on forever. That's why when Jesus talked about it, he says, don't lay up treasure on on earth because they'll wear out. The moth will get teared up or somebody will come steal it or you just look over there and it's all rusted and you just go, what happened to that? And he says, don't do that. If you're going to lay up anything, lay up the eternal. Nothing can change the eternal. The key to our time is Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek to live our lives for the glory of God. That's really the key. So then as we look at the very last page, and it's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of your Lord, for your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It means whatever you do, it's, it's, there's going to be results. There's going to be eternal results when you live for Jesus Christ. So in this lesson, we've actually talked about two things, and, and they, they both come back to the fact that our, how we use our body and how we use our time, we're accountable to God. We're going to find out next lesson that there are going to be two more areas, and we're going to see the same kind of truths that we're accountable there. So let's give an application. The first application, number one, is use our bodies for the glory of God. Use our bodies for the glory of God. Why? Because we're accountable. Because we're accountable. And uh, when we think about our bodies, they belong to Christ. Uh, it's, we have the power and the discipline to control. Uh, God's going to give us resurrected bodies. So use our bodies for the glory of God. That's powerful truth. Second, and you can probably guess what the second one's going to be, let's use our time for the glory of God. (laughs) God's sovereign. We only have so much time. It's so uncertain. The goal is to seek first His righteousness, the kingdom of God, and whatever we do now for the glory of God is not in vain. Because when we stand before Him, how we used our body and our time, He's going to say, well done. Well done. And he said, I gave you a body and I gave you time. What did you do with him? Our our memory verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the things we've done in this body, whether good or worthless. Okay, so this is lesson 12, and uh, hopefully uh, you, you got it all. If you have questions or anything, just call the office, talk to me. I can help you as we go through this.